You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on Apple Podcasts. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate the choir and all the work that they've put into making today a, a special time of worship. It's a little different than what we're accustomed to, but that's okay. You know, Christmas is supposed to be a time of great hope and cheer, and yet for many, Christmas is a time that emphasizes just the opposite of that. It's a time where loneliness and despair and grief are emphasized. There is a darker side to Christmas that's uncomfortable to talk about, but it needs to be recognized. Throughout this series, we've been focusing on um, different characters in that first Christmas story, and there's there's a group of people who are mentioned but are never talked about. And so this morning, we felt it important to recognize this group of people. Rennell read just a few moments ago from Jeremiah 31, and that's a prophecy that Jeremiah inserts into the nativity story in Matthew chapter 2. You'll remember last week we talked about Herod, and Herod was tricked by the Magi, and he was, he was so upset that there may be a new king of the Jews who had been born. And so here's what Matthew records. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 16. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, and weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. This was prophesied 600 years before the baby Jesus came into the world. Jeremiah prophesied the deaths of these babies of Bethlehem. Before Christ died for any of us, those baby boys paid the price for His coming into the world. And their mothers, they suffered for it. I don't know that there is any pain in the world like the suffering of a mother over the loss of a child. And what wrestling with God must follow the pain of mothers who, like the mothers described in Matthew chapter 2, refuse to be comforted. But really to, to truly understand the weeping of Rachel and the wrestling of, of all broken-hearted mothers, we need to go back 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, before this moment happened, the moment that inspired Jeremiah to associate Rachel with a mother's pain. You go back to Genesis, and Jacob is taking his family south from Bethel to, to um, Ephrath, and when Rachel goes into labor, <clears throat> and she goes into labor with her second child, and something goes wrong. Here's what Genesis says. It says, Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. And her labor pains were intense. And after a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid. You have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob had ten ten sons by women that he didn't really love, at least not as much as he loved Rachel. Even his other wife Leah knew that she she was not loved as much as Rachel, but Rachel's barrenness was a terrible shame to her until she finally gives birth to Joseph. And her joy was complete with the birth of this son. And how much happier she must have been to discover 
that she was pregnant for a second time. But then the midwife tells her, great news, you have another son. And she names him Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow. Knowing that giving birth is what ultimately will lead to her death. To have a son would be a great blessing, especially to those people who lived off the land. It was always good to have sons. They, they were farm help. But <clears throat> this would have been a great blessing. And she could call him Ben or son. And that was a tremendous blessing. But with blessing comes a curse. He's also the son of sorrow. He is the blessing that kills his mother. And so Jacob renames the boy. Immediately renames the boy. Now I don't know what I would do in that situation if, if Christie's dying words were to, to rename our newborn child Bu- uh, Buford or, or Gomer or, or something like that. I'd like to think that I would at least honor her request. That I wouldn't just turn right around and rename the child. Um, I, I might, but, but Jacob renames the boy immediately and calls him Benjamin, son of my right hand, or son of good fortune. That's the exact opposite of Rachel's choice for a name. So it kind of leads you to wonder, did, did he not love her as much as we thought? He did was he just simply ignoring her her last wish no 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 Jacob loved Rachel as an old man he would tell his son Joseph to my sorrow Rachel died he renamed Benjamin because every day the boy would be a reminder to Jacob of blessing and pain every day he would look at his son Jacob and he would experience the blessing of of having a son and the blessing of of his presence Benjamin would become his father's favorite son after Joseph is lost to him. And every day that he looked at his son, he would be reminded of that blessing. But he would also be reminded of the death of his beloved wife, Rachel. Benjamin is the the walking embodiment of a paradox of, of blessing and curse. There's another peculiar thing about, about the story of Rachel. It's the destination. They're going to Ephrath or, or to Bethlehem. Think about the parallel that takes place here in this story to the nativity story. Here's the beloved wife, the, the mother of promise, and she's carrying the most beloved child of, of all of Israel, and she's carrying this child on the road to Bethlehem. I wonder if, if maybe she even rode a donkey. It's a tragic precursor to Mary. Rachel, however, never makes it to Bethlehem. She dies before she gets there. The Scripture says that while there was still some distance to go, I don't know if, if you've ever seen the movie the, Ma- uh, the movie Matrix or not, but, but in the movie, the character Neo, he's a great example of the person of Christ. He, he isn't Christ in the movie, but his story is like that of Christ. He is one who can save humanity through, through dying and being reborn. And in the same way, people, real people can be figures. The book of Hebrews tells us that Christ is a priest like Melchizedek was, and that the Jewish temple worship that included sacrifice of animals would would be a representation of the sacrifice that Christ would make on the cross for us. The same is true for Rachel. She is a a type of Mary. She's a real person. She wasn't Mary, but figuratively she is. She's the chosen mother carrying Israel's favorite son and journeying to Bethlehem, only she, she dies while there's still some distance to go. You see, what were literal miles for for Jacob, or as he would become known later, Israel, what were literal miles for him became for his nation, 
a figurative journey of of 2,000 years. 400 years of slavery in Egypt and 40 years of wandering through the desert and then centuries of forgetting God and returning to God and forgetting God and returning to God and and then kings and wars and a divided kingdom and, and ten tribes almost completely lost to history. And with two tribes left, Great Judah and Little Bethlehem, in the 580 B.C. era, Rachel returns. Her journey to Bethlehem still incomplete, though. This is what Jeremiah says. It says, this is what the Lord says, A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. At this point in the story, Jacob's, Jacob's wife, Rachel, she's been dead for 1,400 years. So who is this Rachel that Jeremiah is talking about? Well, in 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire, they come through and they sack Jerusalem. They conquer the nation. The Babylonians, they gather all of the Israelites together at a place called Ramah, which was five miles north of Jerusalem. And there, at this place, they would gather all the Israelites. They would examine them for their worth, and they would would determine whether or not they should live or they should die. Some of the sick and the elderly, they were killed. Young men like Daniel, who were valued for their education, they were assigned to the king's palace in Babylon. And, and any able body that was able to, to be put to good work, they were marched into territories in the empire for work. And Rama, this was the starting point. Undesirables were left behind and old mothers watched their young sons being marched away. Rachel, she died on the road from Bethel to Bethlehem while there was still some distance to go. Ramah, is, it's, it's actually between them. It's closer to Bethel. And some even think that perhaps this is where Rachel died. When Canaan was conquered, to the, uh, conquered um, by the Israelites, it was divided up among the twelve tribes of Israel. And Ramah, it's the territory that was given to the tribe of Benjamin, the son that led to Rachel's death. And 1,400 years after the death of Rachel, the spirit of Rachel, this mournful mother figure, is among the mothers at Ramah, weeping over their lost sons. God sent the Jews to Babylon to live in exile for 70 years, and He punished them for their unfaithfulness. But blessing followed punishment. Blessing followed this curse. Here's what Jeremiah says. He says, But now this is what the Lord says, Do not weep any longer. For I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children, they will come back to you from this distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. For Rachel, she becomes the symbol of all the mothers of Israel. And there would be a blessing. Her sons would return. But not for 70 years. But Rachel's story doesn't end in Jeremiah. 600 years later, the mother of promise finally gets to Bethlehem. She's heavy with child. No doubt her back aches from riding on a donkey. And there's no room for them at the end. And the son of promise is born to Mary. And this time the mother survives. But when she and Joseph, when they leave with the boy for Egypt, Rachel remains behind. Herod hears about the birth of this new king of the Jews and he sends his soldiers to kill all the baby boys of Bethlehem hoping to kill this newborn king of the Jews. And Matthew, he applies Jeremiah's prophecy to to the suffering mothers that are there. Rachel, he says, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. 
As Rachel's name is symbolic, so is Rama. It is figuratively moved to Bethlehem. It's the place where mothers mourn. The journey takes about 2,000 years, and the result is blessing. It's the, it's the greatest blessing that the world has ever known. The, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would be born. But with great blessing comes a terrible curse. Jesus comes into the world, and the mothers of Bethlehem pay the price. I can't imagine a mother's pain. I just, I simply can't. But I have wrestled with the question of why. Why, why did this happen, have to happen? Why, God, would your greatest blessing to humanity come at the expense of even one child's death? Why? I've often wondered if, if the mothers of Bethlehem ever found out you know, that 30 years later when Jesus preached that this was the promised son, that this was the Messiah. I've wondered, you know, did they ever figure it out did they, when he was preaching and performing miracles, did they know that this was the promise for which their children died? Did they figure it out when they heard the disciples preach the very good news? And if they did, did they accept it or did they curse it? I do know one thing, and I can guess about a second. I know that God made this very same sacrifice as the mothers of Bethlehem. That Christ came into the world and angels celebrated with song. And God at that very moment from the very beginning knew that that baby king that was born in a manger in Bethlehem that his sole purpose was to die. God knew it. And he sent his son. He sent himself anyway. That's what I know. Here's what I can guess. And it requires holding on to, to the Rachel symbolism through, through the end of time. Israel leaves Bethel, which is 10 miles north of Jerusalem. And while there's still some distance to go, Rachel dies. When, when she finally makes it to Bethlehem, suffering continues to follow and blessing continues to follow, and Rachel is still weeping. Today, God's people, the, the old Israel and, and the new Israel in Christ, they continue to suffer at the loss of our Rachels and our children. It's as if we quite haven't finished the journey yet. We haven't made it to the place that we're supposed to go. Maybe Bethlehem isn't the destination that we thought it was. Maybe we've been wandering around for, for years, wandering around in the desert, needing to head to Jerusalem all along throughout his entire ministry Christ prepares himself for a journey to Jerusalem Zechariah describes the second coming of Christ as occurring on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem the book of Revelation teaches us that at the center of the new heaven and the new earth to come we will live in the new Jerusalem maybe that's where we've been trying to get all along maybe that's the destination we who are Israel and Rachel that's where we're trying to get. And until then, we weep. But at least then, at least when we get to that new heaven, that new earth, that new Jerusalem, at least when we get there, when we finally get there, there will come a place where Rachel's sorrow finds solace. Where tears are wiped away and where, where there are no more hurts. Where everywhere you go is your own hometown. Where where young romantics find their one true love, where dreams that we've lost won't matter anymore, all the hurts that we felt will begin to fade away, and where mothers will never lose their children again. There is a dark side of Christmas, and it's dark, and it's tragic, but it points to an eternal time of light and rejoicing. It points to a time of reunions, 
reunions for mothers and their children, for spouses and their, their spouse, for God and His children. The dark side of Christmas gives way to the hope of Christmas. You know, I've thought a lot about hope in the last week or so. Paul writes over in 1 Corinthians 13, he's, uh, he says that three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And the reason that love is greater than faith and hope is because faith and hope are temporary. Faith will eventually give way to sight, and hope will eventually be fulfilled. But hope may be the greatest resource that we have this side of heaven. Because it's our hope for something better. It's our hope for something new. It's our hope that, that this life isn't all that there is. It's a hope for reunions. That there will be a time where mothers and their children will be reunited. Where the, the loved ones that we have lost uh, before will be reunited with us. A time where God will be reunited with His children. That's the hope of Christmas. And it's a hope for all of eternity. And that hope of Christmas, it's so beautifully illustrated through communion. A time where we gather to remember a sacrifice that was made on our behalf. A sacrifice that gives us the hope of eternity, the hope of reunions, the hope of Christmas. And in just a moment, we're going to participate in, in a memorial. And it's during this time of reflection where we think back to the cross, where we see where God loved us so much that He was willing to give up His Son. Just like the mothers of Bethlehem gave up their sons, God gave up His Son so that we might have an opportunity to spend eternity with Him. And so during this moment of reflection, I would just encourage you to allow yourself to hope. To hope for reunions and to know that they are made possible only through the sacrifice that Christ gives to us. What a great hope we have. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And in a moment, in a season of, of the year where oftentimes loneliness and grief and despair are emphasized, where they're just made more known because of the grief that we experience this side of heaven. Father, thank You for the hope that You give to us in Christ. Father, thank You that this world isn't all that there is. Thank you that there will one day be a reunion with all those who have loved you. For all those who have been separated on this side of heaven, who have loved you, there will be a great reunion. Father, thank you that there will be a reunion with you and your children. Father, thank you for the hope that comes in Christmas through the sacrifice of your Son and our Savior. And it's in His name that we pray.